we're targeting the people who don't necessarily want a blockchain um, with our blockchain. Which I think I think that makes perfect sense because people oh, thank didn't God. set out. You no, know, it does though because people don't set out to say, you know, I really want you know hypertext transfer protocol. You know, no, they want Netflix, right? They don't they don't care how Netflix works. You know that there's whether you know whether it's WebSockets or TCP/IP or you know whatever technology stack underneath who's hosting the video. They just want to know that it works, right? And and I think that what you're uh, highlighting is something that is broken. You know, it's, it is actually broken to say digital property uh, is, is too siloed. You as an individual don't actually own something you think you own because it's in this silo controlled by a central entity. And if you want to take your ball and go somewhere else, you can't. You can't take that value. You're, you, you, they're pretending they're giving you value by in-game tokens and things like that. But if you don't have control over it, you really at their whim, right? And so the idea is that you're, you're fixing something broken, digital property and, and creating real actual scarcity. And this is like one of the key innovations of blockchain was the concept of digital scarcity being an actual provable thing. Hey everybody, I'm Andrew Levine, one of the co-founders of Open Orchard. And this is a podcast series that we're doing called the Open Source Entrepreneurship Podcast. Today, I'm here with an old friend of mine, Luke Stokes one of the co-founders of FoxyCart, and now he's the managing director of FIO. I think that's the correct pronunciation. Yeah, some say FIO, some say FIO. I've always said FIO as in Fiona, but really it probably is more accurately FIO. <laughs> so either <laughs> one works. <laughs> so I have a list of questions that I wanted to get to, but we were just having uh, what I thought was a really interesting conversation about how despite the awfulness that is this virus that's going around right now, we feel uniquely kind of prepared and positioned during this time, being that, be, being that we've been involved in open source software, um, decentralized software technologies for so long, there was something interesting there about how both of us feel like this is, feel conflicted about the opportunities that we see for ourselves and feel for ourselves and, and how non-disruptive this has been for us because it's so disruptive for other people and, it, and it's so challenging for other people that I, I feel guilty about the fact that I'm starting a company now and I feel like this company is perfectly positioned for the next wave of the economy. And so I just wanted to kind of go back to that conversation. Uh, yeah, it, it's like... Yeah, yeah, let's let's state the obvious too. Here are literally two white guys that are ridiculously <laughs> privileged talking about our our, our uh, mm. sense of guilt almost, right? It's just the most obvious blatant example. Two tech white guys, even better, right? Two well-off tech white guys discussing their, oh no. Uh, and at the same time, that's irrelevant, right? We're human beings. We have we have a perspective on reality. And I think what we were talking about earlier is there's a heightened need for a deep emotional awareness, compassion, empathy, connection to literally millions of people are going to be suffering in serious ways because of this economic situation that we've created for ourselves that really was always there. We all, I mean, 2008 was never solved. It was just all under the hood. It's always been there. Uh, and then obviously the, the physical devastation of, of a pandemic, a virus, you know, all these different things. And so it's, it's really deeply concerning. And obviously we have a, a responsibility and a role to play as does everyone to help 
those around us as best we can. But I was also, you know, as we were talking about, you know, I'm, I'm kind of in a weird sense, I feel like a lot of the world has chosen to live how I've been living the last 10 years. You know, it's like I've, I've been working from home. I homeschool my three kids. My wife, you know, makes all our meals uh, from fresh foods. You know, when I go out to the restaurants a whole ton and it's just like there wasn't a huge disruption. And also the things that I'm most passionate about, decentralized autonomous communities and DACs and DAOs and cryptocurrency and blockchain, these, these distributed networks that can actually bring individuals together and make them effective. The idea of worker proposals and, and, and people don't have to take the normal nine to five job and work for a boss and at a, you know, this place they hate, but they can work from home, be with their families, work with multiple projects with interesting people around the world. You know, you mentioned uh, Foxycart is an e-commerce company that I started with a, a friend of mine back in 2006, 2007. And we did this for 10 years, building remote teams. And we had people from all over the world. And it was just natural to us. And now it's becoming kind of the only way to do business is you work from home, you work remotely. And so I just, I feel like we're well positioned, you know, being in blockchain, being in decentralized systems, well positioned to kind of help people along and say, hey, here's a new model. Instead of going out and trying to look for a job, you can actually add value anywhere in the world. Because if you have an internet connection, you could do this. So it's, it's an exciting time, but it's also a time for, like I said, lots of compassion and understanding that's required. So one of the things I want to try to do with this podcast is start at the beginning, aiming for the broadest swath uh, of people. Um, I feel like very often in podcasts like these, uh, it, it winds up um, going, for example, for developers and engineers. And so I wanted to get your two cents on um, what people who aren't developers or engineers, like you've said, you've been involved in these companies working remotely for a long time. You must have had experience. I mean, I believe that you're technical, um, but I feel like you actually straddle the barrier and you also must have dealt with a lot of non-technical people who were working remotely. Um, do you have any advice for people like that who, who maybe can't code, but this is the future, this is the world they're going to have to become a part of, what, what can they do? Yeah, I, I think, you know, I was thinking about this earlier today, uh, like when I was in high school, I worked at the Jaguar repair shop, you know, I, I literally fixed cars, spun wrenches, used my, my hands, you know, banged up my knuckles. And I enjoyed that. It was fun. I learned a lot. I had an old 52 Jaguar that I would fix up, you know, a little beat up car that I loved. But I, I chose to get into programming. You know, I took the active choice because I, when I looked at what I wanted my future to be, I kind of, a lot of people I think is really important. A lot of people, they, they chase success, but they never define it. And I always think it's super important before you go out to figure out what you want to do with your life, define what your success is and then, and then go and work for it. So my, I'm living my success right now with my family, working remotely. I, I, I love it. And I, I, I worked very hard to get to that place. But I think it's also was intentional. You know, I realized, you know, I don't like to work with my hands as much. I like to work with my mind. So I'm going to go into something that lets me do that. And so that got me into technology. And I think for those who aren't programmers, uh, those who aren't necessarily completely technically inclined, I do think your relational skills are still critically important. And if you're like a people person, that's even more so important with an environment where Zoom calls, for example, are going to be how people get to know each other and how they get to interact with each other. And there's still a need for community builders. There's still a need for technical writers. There's still a need for those who can build relationships and connect opportunities together. I think there's a whole bunch of situations where 
And, and you know, you and I, we've talked about this for years, you know, this idea that technology is going to automate things. You've got AI, you've got automation, you've got all these different things happening. There's people say 40 to 60% of the job is going to go away as it is. So I think there's going to be a lot of automation happening anyway. So as humans, we're going to have to figure out a way to provide for ourselves. And it's going to be different than what we've always done. You know, the buggy, buggy makers uh, are, kind of aren't around anymore because we've got cars. And it's going to be a similar kind of thing. As we go more remote, as we go more digital, there's going to be different opportunities. And I don't think they're all going to be technical. But I also, and this is just a, you know, a slight nudge in that direction. I also do think the ability to understand technical things and programming and things of that nature, kind of like the ability to to speak multiple languages. It's, it, it can be very, very important. Even if you're not gonna be a programmer, understanding those technical things, kind of getting your mind comfortable with things that might initially be very confusing. And a lot of that just comes with repetition, trying things again and again to better understand them. I think it's gonna be really important in the future to come. And, and that's part of, I think, how successful people become successful. They look at the trends, they look at the opportunities and they figure out, okay, how can I go that direction? Yeah, and I think that um, as, software continues to eat the world. And I also happen to believe that specifically open source software is gonna become an even bigger and bigger percentage um, of the economy. I mean, it, its growth has, has continued. Um, I think the flip side of the coin that every job is gonna get automated away uh, is that software is going to encompass an even wider variety of things. And so if you are interested in something, odds are there is some piece of software out there, some technology company out there um, that hopefully can, can interest you and that, that you can see yourself getting involved in. So bearing that in mind, what if you told us a little bit about FIO, what you guys are trying to do, maybe there are some people out there who would find it interesting. And then from there, why don't you explain what you would be looking for in somebody who is non-technical and who is interested in getting involved in FIO? And if you want to throw in what a technical person, what you'd be looking for in a technical person, you can do that too. Now, this is, this is actually perfect. I mean, it's actually just what I was thinking about this week is, so I'll tell you a little bit about uh, FIO or FIO, uh, it, the Foundation for Interwallet Operability. Essentially, the internet was around for 10 years, very difficult to use, no usability layer. And then HTTP comes out and it's like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. We get World Wide Web, we get web browsers. All of a sudden you get people that can say, I can build on this. It makes sense to me now. And I think we're in a very similar space with blockchain and cryptocurrency. It's been around for 10 years, confusing public addresses, you know, big long hashes. People are just frustrated. We did some usability surveys with hundreds of people and a lot of them, you know, more than half feel very uncomfortable when they send and value through cryptocurrency. Uh, not a large portion of them have lost money through manual mill attacks or just sending the wrong address. It's just very stressful and difficult to use. So this interoperability layer on the wallet side is what we're bringing to the ecosystem. And it's basically three things to start. It's uh, FIO addresses. So you just have like Luke at Stokes. I have the domain Stokes and I've registered the name Luke and my FIO address is Luke at Stokes. And I can assign that to any cryptocurrency public address I want on any chain. And it's just maps to it essentially. And then you have FIO data and FIO requests. So FIO requests would be like, hey, you and I are gonna split dinner and I send you right in my wallet. I just pick up my phone and you know, I go to Edge Wallet or Scatter Wallet or you know, Garda or Trust. These are already integrated today. And I go and say, hey, you know, here's, here's a split for lunch and, or dinner. And it pops up right in your wallet and it says Luke at Stokes and has all the information about what it's for. And you just say, yep, and you send it. 
super easy, like even easier than PayPal and Venmo and these other things that people are familiar with today. And I feel like this is going to be a, an amazing game changer for the entire space because it's a usability layer that just abstracts out all the technical details and puts it way under the hood. You don't have to worry about the intricate, you know, experience of one cryptocurrency over another cryptocurrency, or if you're doing with in-game assets or decentralized autonomous community of DAC or a DAO, or you're doing some supply chain management system or whatever you're doing in the blockchain space, if you have to deal with these long public addresses and you have different user experiences with different chains, it's just really frustrating. And so FIO enables to, all that to go away. It's fully open source. And what I'm excited about is bringing in more of the open source community to literally help us manage this because we're going to run it as a decentralized autonomous consortium. I myself with my company for 10 years, Boxycart was not uh, at like an open source company. You know, we were providing e-commerce, we were using a lot of open source technology. Some of our stuff, we had the intention to move towards open sourcing. And actually I, I talked to my business, my old business partner uh, last week even, and he was talking about uh, how they move some of their stuff to open source, which is exciting. But ultimately we don't have the in-house experience to manage a, a global uh, open source protocol from that level. We have some really amazing team members with Dapix, which is our primary service provider that, that built the first version of the protocol. But I'm reaching out even now to different community members in open source to say, you know, how, how do you manage, like we have our, our FIT process, you know, the, the FIO improvement proposal plan. And there's a whole process of how you can discuss and debate the evolution of the protocol. You know, these are things we're borrowing from other open source communities. But we would love to have more open source community engagement. We're going to have worker proposal systems. So anyone who wants to add value in whether it's marketing, whether it's advertising, whether it's community engagement, whether it's translations, whether it's, uh, you know, actually open source management of developers and projects and all of these different things are going to be available. And what's exciting about this new economy with tokenization is that you can participate anywhere in the world, even if you're, you know, in a place that has currency controls. I mean, it's just limitless if you can connect to the Internet. We could pay you with a token that has market value and you can actually uh, engage and add value to the whole community. So, so we're looking for a whole, whole group of people and it, it specifically, again, in the open source. I, I've had some great conversations with my friends in the PHP community. I've been in that community for a long time. We've sponsored lots of conferences and I've spoken to a bunch of uh, conferences there. And I was talking to some of my friends there and you know, they have a lot of experience managing and dealing with open source technical open source communities like the PHP community. And it's, it's not easy. You know, it's like, it's a lot of human stuff. You know, it's not just, oh, I can write code, therefore I can, you know, participate. You know, it's actually very challenging. And I think there's, a, there's, a, there's roles across the entire spectrum for people to add value from, like I said, uh, you know, working with other people, project managers, things of that nature. And, and so I'm, I'm really excited about kind of opening FIO up. And I was actually thinking about the audience of the people that you're going to be reaching out to with this podcast and the people that are going to come on this podcast. You know, I hope they'll watch this and they say, Hey, that's kind of cool. That project, I want to hear about it and see if I can participate. And this is an open invite, you know, come, come check out FIO, FIO protocol IO and see if there's something we can do together to help get this out there. Because I, I really do think this is an amazing moment. It's like just before the internet takes off. And I feel like this is just before blockchain cryptocurrency takes off and we get to be right there in the middle of it. It's pretty exciting. When we talk about, open source and entrepreneurship and bring together tools off the shelf that people have worked on and built. And then you make something useful out of it, right? It's, it's, it's bringing a, almost a mashup of all these amazing tools and then saying, here, I can go now help you build a business with this. It's not usable for you as a company. We're surrounded by people who are going, I'm going to build something that's going to freaking change the world. I'm going to build the next Facebook. And it's such a powerful tool. And I, I hope this doesn't, <laughs> backfire but it's it's such a powerful tool to be like 
oh, so, so you must have something really special at the core of your product that is going to enable you to outcompete a behemoth that isn't just big. The bigness is the wrong thing to look at. People go, I want to build the next Facebook because Facebook is huge. Well, okay, you're never going to do that because what made Facebook huge is that Mark Zuckerberg is a talent. <laughs> and, and he managed to assemble a team and build a product and grow a company. Uh, and, and that's the hard part. And the size is the emergent phenomena. And he must have had a couple of core insights that enabled him to propel ahead of the competition. So uh, with all that being said, is there something like that for Fio? Because for me, hearing that thing, I might not get it right away, but at least I can take it away and I can go and I can look at it and I could try to get, it, get a deeper understanding of that thing, which can be the gateway to understanding that product and then the, the larger ecosystem around it and then the larger economy around that. Yeah, I, I think there are a lot of like wallet naming solutions. You know, you've got like ENS, Handshake, Unstoppable Domains, and they, they're doing a tiny piece of the usability problem. So the major usability issues I see in the space are one, key management, which we're not solving. Someone has to still solve that. And the second is dealing with the usability problems, you know, public addresses and how confusing that is. So a lot of the solutions are kind of taking like a DNS type approach where it's like, okay, you know, I've got a domain or something like that and I'm able to look it up and get the value. You know, DNS has to be inherently public. You know, you're looking up a public IP address. It has to be plain text you know, so anyone can access it. We're taking a different approach in that we're not just doing naming, we're doing a full value routing protocol. So it's everything leading up to a transaction. It's requests for send. It's, it's a lot of different features that are going to include multi-sig routing, subscriptions, I mean, so many different ways that you can interact with programmable value, which you couldn't even think through before. And it's gonna be done in such a way where it, it, like, cause the first question of anyone who's interested at all from an entrepreneurial standpoint in blockchain should be, why do you even need a blockchain, right? Like you gotta ask that question first, why do you need a blockchain? And, and even go deeper, what is a blockchain? A Byzantine fault tolerant system, a very resilient kind of, you know, defensible system that it's very nature is uh, difficult to corrupt uh, from a governance standpoint, all these different things. And it's also something that people are incentivized to corrupt, like, like wallet naming and routing a value. If you're able to hack that system, if there's a centralized database where I can go in and just change a value, you think it's going to look at Stokes to my Bitcoin address and it's really going to Andrew's Bitcoin address, well, I ain't gonna be happy about that, right? So it's a really yeah, important thing to make sure it's secure and there's no single point of failure that, you know, no, no third party counter risk where if you use the system, you have to trust somebody because they can corrupt it, right? So it definitely needs to be a blockchain. But beyond that, it needs to be something that is uh, secure through the entire process, uh, as private as possible. So actually our, our fifth number five we're looking at is uh, a friend request system. So it's a, a, a FIO improvement proposal that we have where you and I would share a private key or basically share a shared token so that you and I would only know each other's Bitcoin addresses. So if we were to interact using FIO, there'd be no other way for anyone else to know what my Bitcoin addresses or Steam addresses or Hive addresses or EOS address or any other addresses because those mappings would be encrypted and stored securely between our, our two uh, key pairs. So there's little innovations like that that are really important that protect privacy. But beyond that, I think it's just from the ground up being a, a value routing protocol. It's not just naming, it's the entire experience of saying, I would like to request funds from you. 
And this is the details of the fund. So like the, the FIO data, for example, can be an order card, can be an invoice, can be structured data. It could be automated systems talking to each other with this data. And it, the beauty of it is it transcends every blockchain. It's, it's the same consistent user experience across any chain, even chains that don't support memos or metadata or anything like that. So I think there's a lot of really key innovations there. And it's just the idea that without a, a blockchain that has the technology to be able to pull this off, in this case, we forked EOSIO, which is very high performant, you know, 500 millisecond block times, things of that nature, we wouldn't be able to do something like this. And without a blockchain, you couldn't do it without it being centralized, where you'd have to trust a certain entity. So we have a number of features to it that I think create a core innovation that is really important. And, and the challenge then too is creating a tokenomic system. Because we have programmable money, all the people participating, you know, there's fees on the field blockchain, but 85% go to the block producers, 10% go to the technology provider IDs, those are the wallets and exchanges, and only 5% goes back to FIO itself, the foundation, which is a nonprofit Cayman entity, which has open governance via DAC model that people can go and actually get elections to be on the board and all that. So it's, it's a system where there's like no one person running it. It's actually a protocol that's going to be directed by the entire community creating the value. And those who get rewarded by fees are directly the people that create the value. So there's this incentive to increase the network effect of more and more wallets, more and more exchanges. And I don't think we've ever really seen organisms like that companies and entities are always generally centralized, whereas DAX and DAOs and, and protocols like this are more like organisms. They can actually grow and evolve and expand. And I'm just, I'm really excited about that as far as anyone listening to this show who's entrepreneurial in nature, I don't think you're going to be building companies like you have up to this point. They're not going to be centralized and controlled. They're going to be decentralized and you're, the participants are going to be uh, really in the, in the model of the book, the, the starfish and the spider. You know, it's going to be more starfish, less spider, where there's one single point of failure. So I think building that protocol with that understanding of what I believe the future is going to be for, for economies and for businesses and for nonprofits and everything in between, uh, I think it's really exciting because we're already going to set that model for what it's going to be. And we're going to build a, a platform that others that are building similar DAX and DAOs and blockchain type systems can hook into very easily. One of the things that I think you bring to the surface in that answer is that one of the benefits of adopting a, a very new technology is that it can make it easier to find an innovative niche, um, right? So my interpretation, what I would say FIO is doing is one, number one, recognizing EOS as a new and innovative technology. And then you, you've been in this space for a very long time. You're very deep in it. You're very aware of everything that is being worked on. And then what you can do is, is once you've narrowed your scope into this very, very small, very unknown, nascent, you know, the future is the future of EOS is unknown in that it could be huge. It could go everywhere, just like any other blockchain. Um, and then you get to say, see, okay, I think what's missing here is a value routing protocol, as you said. And just because you've already contained yourself within a much smaller, um, much more, uh, what's the word? It, it's esoteric, 
right? You're now in an esoteric environment and it becomes a lot easier to spot opportunities because you're like, wow, there's so much stuff missing here. I mean, that's how we feel. You know, uh, even, even in the blockchain space as a whole, whereas a lot of us, you know, a lot of us may feel like it's quite big, but like, as you said, it still hasn't exploded yet. It's still, it's still quite small. And when we look around and we, and we see the, our team, many of whom you're familiar with, um, when we look around at the landscape and we look at Ethereum and we look at even EOS, we, both of which are amazing communities developing amazing technology, 100% with like great people involved in them. And yet there are these massive gaps in this ecosystem, specifically around fairly straightforward things like usability and user experience. And <clears throat> that ties back, that, that goes all the way back around to being in the midst of a pandemic, being in the, being in the mixed, midst, midst of a reshaping of the global economy, which I 100% with the, with the, agree with the point you made at the very beginning of that these changes have actually been coming for a long time. Um, 2008, I 100% agree that being even maybe an even more important focal point of one's attention in terms of understanding the trajectory of the global economy. We're talking about just decentralized systems and how, you know, the world is preparing for a, really an evolution in how we do things. And I don't think it's going to kind of go back to normal, you know, after this crazy lockdown that's unprecedented. I mean, I think we've never seen the level of unity as a species that we're all seeing right now, but it's not the unity that we plan for. It's not like we just, you know, are distributing renewable energy to everyone and food security exists everywhere. It's like, these are things that, you know, we're you know, world peace and no more war, you know, voluntary you know, interactions and no more violent governments around the planet. Like these are things we imagine we could come together as a species to do, but instead we're kind of like coming together to like, you know, stay at home and wear masks or something and, and watch, you know, Tiger King, <laughs> you know, it's like, but instead it's like, so we're sitting there going, well, we just demonstrated, we can all like come together and agree if there's enough fear or enough, you know, data or enough, you know, whatever, there's enough threat or whatever the situation is, we could actually collectively work together in completely decentralized ways, distributed ways, but actually have a shared action and the whole world is having the same conversation right now. That's just amazing. And so I think that there's an opportunity to say, okay, when we come out of this, like for example, uh, you know, we don't need universities anymore. You know, I don't think my kids are going to go to school that way. It's just a waste of money. It's, and it's been that way for years. So most of the inflation we see uh, is, is like there in, in tuition and universities, it's absolutely insane and ridiculous. And it's taken a long time for, you know, people like, you know, uh, Musk and others, you know, big industry leaders saying, yeah, I don't care if you've got a degree. I care if you can get the job done and create value for my company and my shareholders, right? So I think that we're in this situation where things like that, I use that as an example. I'm hoping we're going to step up and say, you know what, why would I start up my business the same way I ran it before? What if we instead ran it as a DAC? What if we started to you know, not worry about so much about this, you know, infrastructure in this one place, but actually put it on a blockchain so the infrastructure is always on and distributed around the world? You know, I think people are, are, are going to step back a little bit and say, you know what, how much waste was in what we were doing before? 
is that economical? Is that efficient? Is that really what we should be doing? You know, what, what about my job or what about my business or what about my, you know, anything was, was really actually truly valuable. And, and that's an exciting thing to consider because then we could, we could do new things and we could do new interesting things. And so I'm, I'm very, very hopeful. I think there's incredible opportunities to get, uh, especially with the economic situation coming. You can't just add trillions and trillions of dollars without it eventually impacting the whole system. And so we're going to have an opportunity for people to go, hey, you know what, that whole Bitcoin thing that I've heard you talk about, you know, Luke, since like, you know, 2013, uh, I think I want to get involved, you know. And so I think, I think it's going to see more and more even retail people getting excited about cryptocurrency, wanting to know more about it. And I think we'll finally, as an industry, be at a place where we're ready for them because we have a user experience that isn't horrific. You know what I mean? Yeah, you, you, you mentioned uh, a couple of times DAX, and I don't want to talk about DAX. Um, I want to talk about, because I think DAX are one of the interesting places that you and I kind of have disagree on, um, but I want to talk about what I think we agree on, which is at the heart of that, and which I think is a bit more accessible to ordinary people which is that I think that the commonality uh, between us uh, and our visions of the future is that it's gonna be a very community-driven future. And the way I see it is that it's like, oh God, this is such a meme, but like the, the internet as we know it now is like, crowdsourcing 1.0 and that when blockchain explodes when the economy reshapes out of this what will be at the core driver of that is crowdsourcing 2.0 which i think is what you think of as decentralized autonomous corporations or companies or decentralized autonomous organizations and and I do think that 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 these concepts will play a part um, but I also think that private companies that aren't blockchain related uh, that find that maybe leverage blockchains to harness the power of communities and incentivize ordinary people and see this is why we might not disagree at all right because if you're a company that somehow like like our view at open orchard is that the company, the developer, they do not care about the blockchain. They don't want to use it. They don't want to know about it. They don't want to hear about it. They want features. We're going to deliver them features. And we're not even necessarily going to talk about uh, the blockchain. We're not going to talk about DAOs with them, right? We're, we're going to talk about their business. We're going to talk about their product. And we're going to connect them with customers. And our advantage is going to be our unique knowledge about this crazy technology that so few people uh, are so, actually capable of understanding. So my question then would be the question number one, uh, why blockchain? Why would they want to hire a blockchain company to meet their needs when they could just, you know, program on a centralized database in AWS and out in the cloud? What, what, is, what, is, what unique offering, kind of the question you asked me earlier about Theo, do, do you bring to the table by bringing blockchain solutions? Our review, is that the killer application of blockchains is the storage of digital property. And 
I think most people in the space would agree with that. Um, and yet, no existing protocol has been architected from the ground up to scale that feature to the largest number of people. So it's, it, it, it's a good question that you asked. That's, that's a really good question. Um, and hopefully this will be an answer of it, but our approach to developers, we, we view the blockchain as a precision tool that when added to other software stacks, takes them to the next level. And so we don't view blockchains as the end all be all solution. We're not looking to build a blockchain where we tell people you should do everything on this. That's where our second layer solution comes in. We're actually saying, no, you should adopt our middleware and our middleware will, will deliver all of these features to you, a shared user database, a shared messaging database, a, a shared social layer that'll make it a lot easier to bootstrap your application. And we could just keep adding features uh, to that middle layer. And so really it'll be like a persistent database um, for your game or application that happens to tap into a blockchain when matters of digital property come into play. I'm playing a game, I'm, buying an, yeah. I'm buying an avatar, that should drop down to a blockchain. I believe that 99% of the users that we onboard will never have any interest in the blockchain. I do think that a very large percentage of them, we will want to give blockchain accounts to so that they can participate in this digital property economy. But in that case, we really want it to be cheap and, and we don't want it to interfere with, with the user experience, right? Because we're, we're, we're pushing it onto them. So it has to be super scalable. It has to have a super consistent user experience. And it, it can't cost anyone a lot because, as you said, nothing in this world is free. Uh, there will be a much smaller percentage of those people who will want to interface directly with the blockchain. Um, <clears throat> and they'll be able to. But it's, it's weird. We're, we're targeting the people who don't necessarily want a blockchain um, with our blockchain. Which I think, I think that makes perfect sense because people oh, thank God. set out, you know, it does though, because people don't set out to say, you know, I really want, you know, hypertext transfer protocol, you know, no, they want Netflix, right? They don't, they don't care right. how Netflix works, you know, that there's whether, you know, whether it's WebSockets or TCP IP or, you know, whatever technology stack underneath who's hosting the video, they just want to know that it works, right? And, and I think that what you're uh, highlighting is something that is broken. You know, it's, it is actually broken to say digital property uh, is, is too siloed. You as an individual don't actually own something you think you own because it's in this silo controlled by a central entity. And if you want to take your ball and go somewhere else, you can't. You can't take that value. You're, 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 they're pretending they're giving you value by in-game tokens and things like that. But if you don't have control over it, you really at their whim, right? And so the idea is that you're, you're fixing something broken, digital property and, and creating real actual scarcity. And this is like one of the 
key innovations of blockchain was the concept of digital scarcity being an actual provable thing. And you're saying, you want that feature, we could provide that feature without all the you know, crazy, ridiculous usability concerns that comes with it you know, up to this point. And I think, again, that's what we're doing with Theo as well. It's just abstracting public addresses. So it's just super simple to interact with value and, and however that might look, it might be automated through the FIO data, it might be automated through FIO requests, there might be even more features added, or there will be more features added to the protocol down the road. But the exciting part about that is, is that won't be determined by us, you know, and this is the other part of the open source nature of this, the community is going to say, wow, this is super useful, it would be even better if it did this, and what about if we extend it to do that, and we have a governance process for how we evolve the protocol, and it's going to be really interesting too, I would say, with your company, because you, know, you could build something amazing, and if it's, I assume, going to be open source, what if somebody comes along and says, we're going to do it Absolutely. better? And they fork Absolutely. your code, they do it better, and they get other market participants, you know? All right. So this has been a great conversation. Um, we're nearing an hour. I want to let you go. We could talk for hours, and, and we should do this again sometime soon. Yeah. Um, with that is, you know, if I'm a developer or a non-developer, a person somewhere in the world who is very interested in FIO and in getting involved or getting involved with anything that you've talked about, what should I do next? I would uh, love to see you in our Telegram. It's probably a great place right now. We also have a Discord, uh, but the first place would probably be FIO Protocol, F-I-O-P-R-O-T-O-C-O-R, whatever that is, FIOProtocol.io. Uh, and there are a bunch of links there to our developer documentation, our knowledge base, and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, joining in our community, uh, you can also follow Join FIO at, on Twitter. And we'd love to, you know, even just this week, I was talking to our team about putting together a worker proposal form so people could actually fill out a form and say, here's what I want to do to create value for your community. And here's how I would validate, you know, that I did it right. Here's how much I'd like to get paid. And here's, you know, the, the, how long it's going to take me. And just, you know, a worker proposal type system is where we're moving uh, with our community and we'd love for you to participate. So that, that form will be up soon. Check our website for it. Join our Telegram, join our Discord and have some conversations. I'd love to meet you. And if you don't know what Telegram or Discord are, step one for joining the new economy is learning about Telegram and Discord because that's where the developers are at. Very All right, awesome. man. Yeah. Thanks so much for coming on. Thanks so much for having me.